Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. The news media has been awash for the past few days following the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia, that left Heather Heyer dead at the age of 32. Her grandfather stated at the memorial service for Heather that she always wanted fairness. And that struck a very responsive chord in me. (laughs) Is that I hate unfairness. Especially injustice. I hate evil. And we're all supposed to hate evil. Contrary to what some would have us believe, we're supposed to hate evil. And that's at the core. That's in the foundation rock of faith in God, of Christianity, of the Bible, of the Ten Commandments. And it is throughout God's word from the beginning to the end. It didn't pass with the Old Testament. We are to hate evil. And again, Heather's grandfather said she hated unfairness. And I believe that absolutely was true. I didn't know Heather, and I don't know what she viewed as unfairness. I don't know what her perceptions were with regard to unfairness or injustice because I know it is certainly possible for people to desire the best to believe in fairness and still to have a distorted view of what that means to misunderstand realities Much has been made concerning the president's response, making it out to have been a non-response. And there is continued aggressive, hesitate to call them attacks, but aggressive confrontation of the president by the media. And what I find interesting about that is that the very same, pardon me, same media which could not bring itself to confront this president's predecessor or the president who preceded George W. Bush, they have no difficulty being very aggressively one could say, disrespectfully, confrontational towards this president, towards George W. Bush, towards Ronald Reagan, towards Richard Milhouse Nixon, but interestingly enough, have not shown that same tenacity and aggression towards all presidents. They have a very... Uh, very distinct bias. Now, I was not on the Trump bandwagon at any point in time. I was not a Trump supporter. I did grudgingly vote for him, given the options. I'm not a fan of the president. I don't admire the president. I am not a follower of the president, much less a hanger-on of the president. I have no desire remotely to 
shake the hand of the president. Okay. I abhor politics. I abhor campaigning, which is one reason I would never run for office, is I just hate campaigning, the stump speeches, pressing the flesh, kissing the babies, all of that, all of that show. I hate pomp and circumstance. But this idea that the president responded inappropriately, that in essence he supposedly sided with the white supremacists who are made out to be right-wing, which is not what they are. It is unfounded. I haven't heard all of the president's remarks. I haven't heard all of the president's statements. But contrary to this matter of the president now having the lowest approval ratings he's ever had as president, I think his statements have actually been amongst his very best statements that he's made. Now, today... He supposedly went rogue, according to one inside senior White House source. Namely, he didn't follow the blueprint that was made up for him by his advisors and so on and so forth. And I think that the president should cease and desist from being so predictable about vehemently defending himself, not against violence, but against criticism, against aggressive confrontation. He's so caught up with defending himself, his image, whatever, and it backfires badly, it does not do credit or honor to the presidency, it does not serve this president or this nation. He needs to get over himself, if you will, to use that common vernacular. But As far as I was concerned, not only was he grievously lacking in character and devoid of godly wisdom, but despite all of his success in life, his great success in life, which has been very, very, very largely due to his selfishness, in my view, his selfishness, his materialism, his greed, his covetousness, again, in my view, But his, dare I say, lack of maturity has been exceedingly evident throughout his life. And that's being gentle and diplomatic and a few other things. But as seen by his divorcing, beautiful, desirable wives who have in fact uh, not only given him his children... Time and again, but who have also not shown themselves to to have dishonored him or have failed him. But I digress. I think the president did, in the statements I've heard, do better in his responses concerning the monstrous events of Charlottesville than he has in so very many other instances. Now, to these monstrous events in Charlottesville, not only, but chiefly, this murderous attack by this destroyer that resulted in the death of this dear 32-year-old woman, Heather Heyer, 
tragically and monstrously resulted in her death. But 19 others were injured. Some or many of them gravely injured with life-threatening injuries. He attempted to murder them all. Hope and pray that they recover and are restored and are able to enjoy life and mourn the loss of this dear woman. But what was all of this brouhaha in Charlottesville? And why are the major media elites and those throughout the new media so invested in siding with those who I would describe as the left, as the violent ones of the left, or the Antifa and all these others. The socialists, the communists, and so on and so forth. I understand why they are opposed utterly, totally, to the so-called neo-Nazis, the supporters of fascism, and so forth, but why they are so stridently supportive of the supporters of socialism and communism and so forth is fascinating. But then they always have been. This isn't something new. There's absolutely nothing remotely new about this. The terminology, the matter of right-wing, left-wing. I have used the term many times in the past, leftists. Because I abhor the use of the, the misuse, the perversion of the term liberal to apply to churlish people. Liberalism is generosity. That's what it means. Liberal, to be liberal is to be generous. But those who are referred to, invariably referred to as being liberal or being moderate or being progressive are very exceedingly far from generous. They are only generous with the money of others. <laughs> they will take it from the other people. You know, they play their little Robin Hood game. Take it from these, and they will give it to those. They like to reallocate the resources, redistribute the wealth, even that which is not wealth, and give it supposedly to the more deserving from the less deserving, when in fact it's going the other way around from the more deserving to the less deserving. But that's just one of their great cause celebs. And it supposedly results in fairness and justice. That's why, again, with regard to Heather Heyer, while I hate that she was cut down, that she was murdered. And I appreciate that she had a passion for fairness. I wonder what her idea of fairness was. And I suspect it was a very misguided idea of fairness. Those on what I will describe as the left, those who represent the causes of the Saul Alinsky's and who employ the methods, the tactics of the Saul Alinsky's, of the Soviets, the communists, down through the ages, and of the unions the, that have been particularly aggressive in their actions, in their pursuits of this, that, and the other, which 
first and foremost is always the enrichment, the aggrandizement of the leaders of the union, rather than the welfare of the members of the union. There are unions and unions, so I do not want to lump them all together. Once upon a time, long ago, and in some parts of the world, for sure, still ongoingly, there was definite need for unions. Back in the days of sweatshop labor in the United States of America, back in the day when there was children labor, child labor, young children slaving away in various different capacities for 12 hours a day and for miserably low wages and so forth. Or back in the day in England when children were in point of fact, slave laborers. As continues to this day in other parts of the world, in communist China, in India, in Bangladesh, and so on and so forth. Yes, there was need for unions. There still is. But you don't have to go back that far. You don't have to go back even 100 years, to see workers in mines and workers in logging and workers in construction of skyscrapers and dams and other things of that sort who were engaged in incredibly dangerous jobs, positions, employment, and for whom there not only was no safety net for those high-wire acts, no safety net to catch them from falling to their deaths, but there was no safety net for their families and loved ones, and financially, and the workers worked six days a week from darkness till darkness, in many cases, in inclement weather, in terrible conditions, and extreme danger for very low wages and no benefits, and ended up, according to that song of Ernie Ford, owing their soul to the company store. Buying goods, products, at greatly inflated prices that were sold to them by the companies that they worked for, and they could never get ahead. Yes, there was great need for unions back then, but unfortunately the history of the unions in this nation has been something other than commendable for the most part. It's been involved with Violent crime, it's been involved with organized crime, so many of the unions. And even when there hasn't been murderous violence involved, there has been intimidation. And there has been bullying of workers, causing them to be forced into becoming members of unions, being forced to pay onerous dues, and then those dues being used for political support for leftists, for corrupt politicians, and to enrich the leaders of unions. At this point in time, the most powerful, the richest unions are of a different ilk, They are the teachers' unions, and they are the retired people's unions. These are the richest, largest unions in this nation, and they invariably support the causes of the left, the causes of socialism, dare I say communism, of ever-increasing government, and of ever-decreasing, diminishing freedom for people, liberty for people, of ever-increasing taxation, and 
in the case of the teachers' unions, of the subversion of the young, of the subversion and corruption and perversion of children. And to digress for a moment about the matter of children, the leftists, the feminists, the abortion pushers, those pushers of induced abortion and infanticide and euthanasia, so-called mercy killing, and the sodomite revolution and all of those extreme leftist cause celebs and for the continual promotion of interracial union, interracial sexual relationships, interracial marriage, and so on and so forth. And of course now, the ultimate perversion, the ultimate goal of perversion of marriage, and preceded by many, many, many steps, including adoption of children by sodomites and so forth. But all of these agenda items being pushed upon the young, but throughout that, they have insisted that children are not children. They've insisted that 13-year-old girls are not children, that they're women, and that they need to have women's rights, women's reproductive rights, right to engage in sexual immorality precociously, more often than not being seduced and or raped, being impregnated, and then having the wonderful, compassionate, merciful solution which is no more a solution than the final solution was for Hitler's Nazi regime of murdering the preborn babies. Murdering the preborn babies right through the end of the third trimester, right through the pregnancy up to the birth of the child. They've been steadfast aggressive, tenacious, vicious promoters and supporters of these things and of pornography and of the most vicious pornography. And it goes on. And it's interesting if you compare and contrast that with the women of the suffrage movement. No, not Margaret Sanger. Not that vicious, ruthless, racist, neo-Nazi of back then, Margaret Sanger, the great champion of induced abortion, the great champion of sexual subversion of the young and of the not-so-young. But back to the mothers of the suffrage movement here in the United States of America, you will find that they were stalwart enemies of induced abortion and abortionists, pornography, and prostitution. All of those things of which the likes of Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been a great champion of, and of those sisters of hers in this feminist realm. But those of the left, they have their agenda, and it is not a single-item agenda. It's not even a cafeteria menu-style agenda. They pick one from column A, one from column B, and this and that and the other thing. No, it's all coordinated and concerted, and it is like so many tentacles, and they all fit together, all part of the same master plan, the same master scheme, which was in fact drawn from the blueprint provided for them by Karl Marx and later Vladimir Lenin. 
That's where they take their marching orders from in addition to Meyer Amsel Bauer, who changed his name to Rothschild. The agenda of the left comes from those. It is the socialist agenda, the communist agenda, the fascist agenda, because you find it also in Hitler's Nazi Germany, to take over education of the young. It's had champions going back 100, 150 or more years here in the United States of America. And the goal has been won. There have been a variety of tactics, a multiplicity of agenda items or agenda points or facets. But the goal is won. It's why there was a so-called civil war. It's why there was a war between the states. It was not over slavery. That is not what Abraham Lincoln ran on, and that's not what he was elected regarding. He came around to choosing to champion that. But interestingly enough, if the United States of America had not become the United States of America and had remained under the control, you might say ownership, of the realm, the British realm, slavery would have been ended in the colonies, in this nation, in this country, before the war between the states, before the so-called civil war, the exceedingly uncivil war, would have been ended. While slavery continued long past that in places like Brazil, and so forth, and of course to this day in Africa. But that slavery in Africa, as it was 200 years ago, to this day is conducted by black Africans. More often than not, it has been conducted by Arabic Africans. Islamists down through their history of especially vicious variety. But you hear these people who have converted to Islam, who are black, who are of African descent. I say black because that is the term that's used. But they are no more black than I am white. (laughs) They are of African descent or of what used to be referred to as the Negroid race, as I am of the Caucasian race with this and that thrown in. But, meaning such as uh, Jewish heritage a little bit back there, But lo and behold, time and time and time again, you will hear an expression that is made great use of in the Middle East and throughout Asia and elsewhere, certainly throughout Africa, is that Christianity is the white man's religion. You hear it here in the United States. It's used very heavily. Christianity is the white man's religion. Christianity is... Is just that white, racist, whatever, religion. Whereas Islam, Islam is for the Arabs, for the black peoples, really. 
fascinating. If you look at the ruthless, vicious, murderous evils done to black peoples in Africa by Islamists, by Arab Islamists, it is something to behold. Jesus was a Jew and as such is identified as being Semitic as compared to Caucasian. Oh, but he's the white man's God. He's God the Son. But he was given, he died, he gave his life for all peoples. All peoples, all races, all nationalities, all tongues, all kindreds, all tribes will be represented in the eternal kingdom of God. But there is no nation, no race, no ethnicity that has a corner on the market on righteousness and godliness. And there are evil, hateful, murderous destroyers within every nation, every city, every municipality, every rural area. What God identifies as every race, kindred, tongue, tribe, and family. When I say family, I'm not referring to a little nuclear family. I'm referring to extended family. That's absolutely true, biblical truth. Those of the left would have us believe otherwise. Those of the left who have championed race warfare in the United States of America, right up through dear prior president Barack Hussein Obama, who absolutely championed race warfare and who insisted on denigrating the United States of America and its history. Those of the left, that's what they're about because they are focused on bringing all nations into one regime, one governmental regime. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the introduction to the program. And let me add here, whatever is right or good about this program is thanks to my Lord and God and King, and whatever is wrong about this program or that you may perhaps find to be lacking and imperfect all the way over to offensive uh, is thanks to me, no doubt. But what took place in Charlottesville was foreseeable, which is why the police have come under such criticism. It was foreseeable. This wasn't something that should have caught anybody by surprise. Those who gathered there, it wasn't just a matter of people who honor their predecessors who fought valiantly in the war between the states and were on the losing side. who lost as a result of, it has been described in varying ways, but the weight of the advantages of the Union of the North. But more than those people who have been dumped upon, whose predecessors whose ancestors have been dishonored, denigrated for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades. More than just those people who have been abused by the media, major media elites and others, 
for lo these many years. More than that, there were those that were coming there who were gangsters and thugs, neo-Nazis, skinhead gangs, biker gangs of that ilk. And then there were all of the other gangsters and gangs of the left. And for the president to even allude to that, to even suggest that there was responsibility or culpability for any other than the gangs and gangsters, destroyers who are described as being right-wing, errantly described that way, but who are fascist, to suggest that there was something wrong, but they go far beyond suggesting, to attack the president confrontationally, aggressively, demeaningly, disrespectfully, dishonorably, because he has attempted to make it clear that there is blame for more than just those. There is blame for the other side. That has been an unforgivable sin by the president. If you go back to the times preceding World War II and you look at what took place in Germany, you look at what took place in Italy, you will find this. There was warfare. You find it in the Soviet Union. Warfare between the fascists, those describing themselves as fascists, those describing them or nationalists, those describing themselves as socialists, those describing themselves as communists, you find absolute vicious, ruthless warfare and attempts to annihilate the others because they view each other as the competition as their opponent, as their deadly, dangerous opponent. It's the same thing as Hitler, after having skillfully used the brown shirts of Rome, annihilating them, of Romer, destroying them, murdering them, slaughtering them, and blaming them for having brought it upon themselves, blaming them as being the root cause of all of the evils that Hitler was doing. Yes, they were evil too. But this has been the case. You find it with Benito Mussolini and his rise to power. With the so-called fascists and the so-called socialists and the so-called communists, But what they really all are at the root, I say so-called because what they really all are at the root is socialists, fascism, Nazis. was the National Socialist Party in Germany, the National Socialist Party. And yet they are invariably, invariably, described as being right-wing. The only way under the sun that they are right-wing is if the communists and the fascists are rightly recognized as being part of the same body. And one can be the left-wing and one can be the right-wing of the same Entity, the same animal, or two sides of the same coin. They are joined inseparably. And yet, yes, they have virulent hatred for one another. There are the puppet masters behind the scenes who are using not just these two sides, but other players to bring about 
a new so-called civil war in the United States of America. Why do they want to do that? I mean, that's one of the things they would like to see happen. It doesn't have to happen, but that's one of the things they would like to see happen. They can bring about martial law and enslavement across this nation without there being any so-called civil war. They can do it by employing these great world-threatening disasters like world global climate change and other such nonsense. But also by pandemics, epidemics globally, and by Islamist terrorism, and by so many other things they can employ, AIDS and what have you, and of course financial crisis. Problems that are so extreme that it requires the united resources of the entire world. No nation can go it alone. No nation can solve these problems alone. They have to all join a great, vast coalition to go to war against these intractable and ultimately fatal problems. They can use that, and they have tried and tried and tried and tried, and they continue to, and they're not going to give up trying to do it that way. But another tactic is to breed race war across this nation and to keep pouring fuel on the fire and to cause great violence across the land and to use the media to fan the flames and to place the blame. And to bring about martial law. And if they get their way, they'll succeed in getting us to do more than to bark our heads off at one another. For blood is their goal. It's not their ultimate goal per se. It's a step on the way to bring this nation down to its knees, into rubble. Why so importantly this nation? Because this nation is the last best bastion defense For the entire free world. All of the other nations of the Western world owe their freedom, their independence to this nation. And yet, ironically, remarkably, according to no less an authority than God himself in his word, makes it clear to me, anyway, that Israel, tiny, tiny, tiny Israel, which has been besieged for its entire modern history by those who would destroy it, that it will still be standing after this nation of ours has lost its independence. Not that it will stand long, but it will be the last nation standing against the forces of evil. Those who are the puppet masters, those who are behind the scenes, they always hedge their bets. They always insist on not only telling the news so that they can frame the news, so they can control the news, the information sources, which again is a keystone of Marx and Lenin, what have you, but They always insist on having a horse in the race in each camp so that no matter who wins, we lose. With regard to the matter of Ronald Reagan, he was not their guy, but they managed to weasel many of theirs into positions of 
friendship and influence with him. And this resulted in his selection of his vice president to our detriment. Among other things. As far as President Donald Trump, I don't believe he's their guy, per se. But the problem is his breathtaking dearth of wisdom, of godly wisdom, of godly character. His lack of foresight, his lack of hindsight, his lack of knowledge. And what that can result in. As far as I can make out, his choice of vice president was actually a good one. Unlike President Reagan's choice, which was made for him. (laughs) Those of the left and the puppet masters... They would have been thrilled with him selecting the one that they promoted for him, who was Gerald Rudolph King Ford. But instead, the alternate did nicely, George Herbert Walker Bush. This nation has seen not only a great deal of of violence, violent crime, for lo, these many years. But it has been awash with subversion, corruption, and perversion, which increases not only each decade, but each year. Those who believe that this president will be able to stem the tide of that are optimists, cockeyed optimists, in my opinion. I have never believed he was the man for the job, the man of faith and power for the hour. (laughs) But, again, compared to the other Alternatives. He was (laughs) the only choice. The only choice that we had during the general election. And that's the way it's always done, is that everything is set up well before the general election. I mean, it's going on very, very aggressively right now. The promotion of Hillary Rodham Clinton. The promotion of Michelle Obama. The promotion of other extreme members of the controlling class, the social engineers of the world, those who are supported by and championed by the puppet masters of the world, they have been being exceedingly championed and promoted going back before this president was inaugurated. And that's going to continue right up until the next presidential election day. Something that has been floated repeatedly in order to try to influence people has been this matter about the president's approval rating. One headline after another, after another, after another about his approval rating is at a new all-time low. And now again, it's at another all-time low. And now it's at a low that exceeded the previous lows. So what? 
Unfortunately, and this is one of the things I abhor about politics, is that it is a popularity contest. A popularity contest in which the ignorant, unwashing masses can tip the balance this way or that way. But we're all ignorant to some extent. Hmm. And all of us who are not among the elitists are among the masses in one way or another. And there are the kind and good people who desire fairness. People perhaps like Heather Heyer. Or perhaps not Heather, perhaps... Perhaps she was not being swayed by the lies out there, but there are those who are well-intended. They desire the best, but nonetheless, because of very, very limited, imperfect knowledge, understanding, wisdom, what have you, and because of their sympathies, Because of their empathy, they're able to be swayed this way or that way. Then there are all of these others whose votes can be bought. (laughs) And then there are all of those pressure groups that are able to assert their will to a greatly multiplied effect. And it will take a miracle an absolute miracle for this nation to stand against the forces of evil that intend its destruction, its ultimate destruction, and who use things such as this terrible violence in Charlottesville, Virginia, to their ends. It's just One little skirmish, bloody, murderous skirmish that is used in the great plan to bring down a once great nation. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.